What's up? Hey girl, so much. Get your cups ready because we're about to pour. This is the Queen's Cup. Who do you, who do you, who do you, who do you know you are? I'm a boss with a little bit of sassy and a whole lot of classy. I'm confident. I'm beautiful. Who do you know you are? I'm Risa. And I'm Rika. And this is the Queen's Cup Podcast. Welcome to our episode of the Queen's Cup Podcast. How are you guys doing? We're so excited to be back for hey, our 10th hey, hey. episode. 10th so, episode, guys. Yes, we are hitting a milestone and we thank you guys for rocking and rolling with us. So this week's episode, we are so excited to be talking about Black excellence. And in lieu of Black History Month, we wanted to continue on the train of highlighting Blackness, our Blackness, the beauty of being Black and all things in between. And so this week's episode, we're highlighting Black excellence. Yes, ma'am. So before we dive into that, let's just do our checking in. We're going to do chatting with R&R. So I guess I'll start. So, um, you know, same thing's been going on with me, school with the kids, working. Um, but both me and Erica have found a new love on Clubhouse. <laughs> so <laughs> we have been on Clubhouse, networking with other people, yes, learning. Indeed. It's been a really good experience. I've definitely been learning a lot about, for me, um, business credit. I've been able to leverage a lot of the information I've learned to start and open lines of credit under my business. So it's so exciting. Sometimes it can be a little bit uh, obsessive being on Clubhouse for hours, but (laughs) (laughs) there is some in between. So I'm learning, but I'm also networking and and meeting people all over the world, actually. So it's super exciting to be, I'm super excited to be on Clubhouse and um, just learning a lot and, and networking in the comfort of my home and not being worried about, oh my God, how do I look? Is my hair late, right? And all of this stuff, you're just chatting it up with people all over the world. So it's exciting. So that's one of the new things that um, I've been into recently is Clubhouse. And I know a lot of people say like, oh my God, social media is a lot. And granted, it can be a lot, but Clubhouse is definitely something new. So if you have not joined Clubhouse, definitely check it out. Um, I think right now it's just for iPhone users, but, you know, it's in the beta stage. So eventually it will roll out to Androids. But if you want to check it out, definitely um, go and check it out. Hopefully, you know, you know someone who can send you an invite. Listen, I have seven invites now. So if you need an invite... reach out to me because I have seven now I checked this morning I was like oh my god I got seven so reach out to me I will give you an invite for clubhouse so oh my god but that's really what's been going on with me so what's been going on with you Erica yes uh I will piggyback off what you said clubhouse has definitely been a, a treat it's for me it's a not just the networking, but also like the camaraderie from people that you've never set your eyes on physically. Mm-hmm. Like this, it is so much an outpouring of love and support from different people, which is amazing. So that's something that I definitely enjoy. And also it's definitely 
people on there where you can find your niche. Um, whether it be for me, of course, I love poetry. So there's people on there having me up all times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to recite a poem uh-huh. and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, good and well, I gotta wake up and go to work in the morning, but I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely bringing me out of my comfort zone. So that's something I can appreciate about about it. Um, other than that, still working in school <laughs> is the other things that are going on. Okay, alrighty. So we're going to roll into our core conversations, which this week we're talking, like I said, about Black excellence. And we're going to talk about a few different um, areas within Black excellence because, you know, when we think about Black History Month, we we think about, of course, all of the civil rights movement leaders. Uh, We think about how far we've come as a culture and as a race. But um, and sometimes we kind of just smooth over all of the great things that we have done as Black people. All of the first, we normally see all the first they did this first, they did that first. But in between, there are a lot of great things that have happened as Black people. And so we just want to highlight some of those things for um, Black History Month. So I'll let Erica kick it off first. Okay, so first, I want to express what Black excellence means to me. Mm-hmm. So for me, Black excellence is Black people are striving in um, areas all around the board. I mean, all around the globe. We are now um, in untapped markets, so to speak. Well, um, markets that were once untapped um, all across this diaspora, um, whether it be the tech industry, whether it be catering, whether it be real estate, we're just thriving all across the board. So I think this is important for us to accelerate that we may not be dominating, so to speak, in that area, but we are there and we are a very... um, a very valid life force in those industries. Not only that, that the sky's the limit for us, that we are breaking mm-hmm. glass ceilings. So black excellence is, you know, just thriving, like we doing it. <laughs> yes. What black yes. excellence means to me. Absolutely. And I and I agree a hundred percent with everything you're saying in regards to black excellence. You know, for me, I love to see black people win. I love to see black people operating in their gifts and talents and just soaring high. Um, You know, we don't always see the positive in black people. A lot of times people will point out the negative and they will talk about the stigmas and all of these things. But there are so many of us doing amazing things Mm -hmm. and operating at a high level and the talents and gifts that God has given to us. And so I agree with, with everything Erica said in regards to her definition of Black excellence. And that's just something that I strive for on a daily basis. Like I always try to strive, try to strive for Black excellence because no one's perfect, but I want to, I want my image and I want my legacy to be that I operated in my gifts and talents and I operated at a level of excellence. And so yes. that's something that I strive for. And that I want my kids to see as well that, you know, mommy and daddy are doing, we're doing our thing and we're wanting mm-hmm. to show them that you, the sky's the limit, that you can do anything you put your mind to. You can break those glass ceilings. You can knock down those walls. You can step into areas where they said you would never step into. And so I think it just, I think it's amazing that we as Black people, we just do so many great things and we're not always... 
um, held accountable. We're not always um, acknowledged. Sorry, we're not always acknowledged for the work that we do um, right. for whatever reason. So we just want to shed some light on that today um, as far as Black excellence because it's Black History Month and why not, right? So yes. <laughs> the first thing we're going to talk about is Black Wall Street. And we hear the term Black Wall Street. We know about the massacre, um, but we don't necessarily know all the details and the ins and outs of how many great Black people mm-hmm. that were there. Every life mattered, right? But there were so many Black affluent people in this community that um, didn't. we didn't necessarily know all the details or the ins and outs of those Black people. And so I'm going to read um, some information about the Tulsa massacre from the hit from history.com and so what i first want to say is that before the massacre this black district of greenwood which was in tulsa oklahoma was attacked by a white mob and it was a two-day massacre of destruction um and it was in one of the most affluent african-american communities in the united states Right, And so the massacre began on May 31st. And like I read, it was two days. It left hundreds of residents dead and thousands of homes destroyed um, in the Greenwood district. And so it's commonly known as Black Wall Street because all of the affluent Black people that were there, some of the things that they were doing was something that was never done before. And so uh, a little bit about it was that it started one of a prominent Black man, um, O.W. Gurley, a wealthy Black landowner. He purchased about 40 acres of land in Tulsa, and he named it Greenwood after a town in Mississippi. And so he, cre- he started Greenwood, and not only did he start it, but he helped other Black people come and get there. And it was called the city for black people by black people because they helped each other build it to where it became so affluent. And so O.W. Gurley would actually give loan money to black people who wanted to start their own businesses. He would help fund these businesses so that he not only became wealthy, but he helped other black people become wealthy in Tulsa. And so one of the one of the first entrepreneurs he helped was J.W. Stratford, which he was born into slavery and he later became a lawyer and an activist. And then he mm. came to Greenwood and he built a 55 room luxury hotel, one of the largest black owned hotels in the country. Wow. And that in itself was amazing. So now they had a landowner and they had a luxury hotel in which he was also a lawyer. And so Greenwood became self-contained and reliant on itself. They were able to sustain it alone. The money circulated within the town. It didn't really leave because they had doctors, they had lawyers, they had pharmacists, they had teachers, they had medical staff. They had everything they needed for the most part within Tulsa. And so um, even though it was segregated and even though it was predominantly black people that lived there they were doing really good for themselves there were luxury shops there were restaurants grocery stores hotels clothing stores there were actually movie theaters barbershops libraries clubs doctors dentists lawyers school system post office banks hospitals taxi service everything you can think of was inside of greenwood Mm. in tulsa 
they did not need to leave for anything outside of what they had. They had built an affluent, which we now know as Black's Wall Street. And so, of course, the massacre happened, happened and it destroyed Tulsa. The Tulsa riot destroyed it completely. Mm. And I don't know if they were ever, ever able to rebuild it to the way it was. Um, you know, there were talks of reparations for the survivors um, and their lineage for what happened. There were talks of all kinds of things, reparations and stuff like, and things like that. But I don't know if they were ever, well, one, it can never bring back the lives that were lost in that massacre. It will, reparations will never bring back what they lost, what the family members lost and what the town mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad to say that I don't know if we can ever get back there. I'm, I'm not mm. close to mm. where we'll never get back there, but we've never seen anything like that yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Since and um, when you're talking about Tulsa, do you mean, well, from what I'm gathering is you don't, we don't know if they ever were able to do it in another area. Right. Um, unfortunately, yeah, because unfortunately they, they, when they burned the town, the ground, those people who lived there, a lot of them, were not only dead, but a lot of them were misplaced. They were not able to even to, to live there anymore, which is mm-hmm. sad. And it and hearing about Black Wall Street, it's like every time I, I have a discussion about it, it's like my heart breaks all over again. It's just thinking about, you know, how um white people went to great measures to break us down, to right. burn down something that was that was thriving and excelling and helping out so many people like it's just I don't know it just does something to me thinking about it and just how evil you have to be to even go to the extent and just but it also Mm -hmm. um empowers me in a way that knowing how powerful we we are where they go to great lengths to try to keep us down to talk to try to suppress us or oppress us but like um like Al Teresa said um um I believe that that we can have that again one day how when I don't know but I leave I believe that we do I mean we will excuse me mm-hmm. um I believe that it's coming and God works in mysterious ways I don't know I don't like I said I don't know how or when but I believe that it will but um I think that it's amazing um, for those who who see um, Tulsa as a light and just the people that pay pay homage to them. Mm-hmm. Whether you know whether it is researching our history or um, again breaking those glass ceilings that in areas that we aren't wanted or appreciated. So um, I'm thankful for the people of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who really showed us like what we can attain at least on mm-hmm. this side in the united states because they bury a lot of our history and right. make it seem like we are incapable of attaining certain things so i think it's important for every black person and people in the united states period to understand the as a collective what tulsa oklahoma meant but also mm-hmm. as black and brown people to understand that 
we are not far from being able to to attain to attain it, even though it might seem like an insurmountable task or an unreachable task, um, that it can happen. But it it takes that it takes that effort. It takes us being that village again. Right. Um, yeah. Um, right. to Black Wall Street. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not completely far for us getting there because we do have a lot of Black people that are wealthy, um, that are maybe not as much many as white people, but we do have a lot of Black wealth. We do have a lot of entrepreneurs. We do have a lot of people that are in their service and in their field that are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so it's not far-fetched that we could ever get back there. Um, how? I don't know, but not to where it's hopeless, right? It's nothing hopeless because we've come right. a very, very long way. And I think that we are in a much better place economically as Black people um, than when we were. But I definitely think we have a lot more growth to get to, but it's not impossible is what I'm saying. So definitely pay right. homage to Tulsa and the Black Wall Street, because absolutely it will forever go down in history because that is something that, you know, our counterparts thought that we probably could never do and they did. So definitely saluting Black Wall Street under our Black Excellence episode today was definitely necessary, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're gonna move on to our next topic under Black Excellence. We're gonna talk about our very own Overtown here in Miami. That's where we're from. And so Erica is going to kick off talking about Overtown. Yes. So um, Overtown has a rich history, which I, I've heard my mother say plenty of times um, over over the years, but it's, it's really, it's true. Um, Overtown, well, I'll talk about um, what is called historic Overtown. Um, and the history that has been shared there. Okay, so according to Overtown, um, according to kids.kittle.co, it's uh, um, an encyclopedia, but um, it's good for anybody who's willing to um, learn the information, but um, says Overtown is a neighborhood of Miami, Florida, United States, just Northwest of downtown Miami. Originally called Colortown during the Jim Crow era of the late 19th through the mid 20th century, the area was once the preeminent and is the historic center for commerce in the Black community in Miami and South Florida. Um, the encyclopedia goes to goes on to say how um, how Overtown had movie theaters had nightclubs it was it was just basically like I would say like a like a black mecca um we had people who came through there like Count Basti, Billy Holiday um just a great amount of different people also I want to also um tap into D.A. Dorsey so for those who aren't familiar with D.A. Dorsey it says during the Florida land of the 1920s, Overtown was home to one of the first Black millionaires in the American South, D.A. Dorsey, who once owned Fisher Island in the original Booker T. Washington High School, then the first high school educating Black students south of Palm Beach. 
community organizing and mobilization during the era as such in actions of Reverend John Comer who advocated for better living conditions for lower class blacks living in abject squalor during the 1920s. So it goes on to say how um, Liberty City, which was um, once upon a time known as Liberty Square, we had um, a little Broadway, which was um, had hosted hundreds of mostly black business, black owned businesses ranging from libraries and social organizations to a hospital and popular nightclubs. I think that was um, profound in itself because I don't know of any black hospitals at all. I mean, right. um, I won't <laughs> say, I mean, you know, I, I really don't know any of any. Um, I know of hospitals that would um, in retrospect, well, would be, well, I guess the community that they serve or their founding, I know some, you know, hospitals that may have like a Catholic backing or maybe a Jewish, but I don't know of any black mm-hmm. hospitals. So that in itself is amazing, but it's just, right. um, that's just a little bit um, history about Overtown, which is it's just not even really tapping into right. all the amazing things that have happened right excuse me decades ago but also um I don't know if Alcerisa wants to expound upon that a little bit mm-hmm. but we also wanted to talk about one night in Miami but um Risa, yes did you have- yes so um just to piggyback on Overtown um you know I didn't grow up in Overtown so to speak um but of course we all know the area and it's definitely rich in a lot of history and sometimes we didn't necessarily know a lot of the history back then you know it was a negative stigma on you know living and being in Overtown and so I think that it's good to highlight a lot of those things that Erica talked about because if you're from Miami um, you know, our generation, millennial and, and, and the generation under us, we may not have known a lot of that information. So it's good to know. And so the other thing is, is that, you know, now gentrification is throughout the country. There are a lot yes. of black neighborhoods that have been gentrified um, and they have been turned into completely different areas. And so, um Overtown, for example, has been gentrified into now what we call Wynwood, right? At one point, Mm -hmm. Overtown was a place where people sometimes were afraid to go because of the negative negative stigma in the area. But now um, they have come in and gentrified the area to where it's now like this hip place where a lot of other cultures come and they built restaurants and they built, um, you know, the art. Basel is there and they build a lot of other things in the Overtown area which some will argue it's a great thing they bring up the area but the other side is that they push black people out Mm -hmm. a lot of black people have been born and raised there and there are a lot of companies and black owned businesses that are in Overtown and they push them out and the thing is is that when we have our own communities they may not necessarily always be the best, but a lot of culture and richness is in that area. And when mm. they come in and, and gentrify it, they push Black people out where one, they may not have 
anywhere to go because for those who don't know, it's very expensive to live in Miami. So mm-hmm. um, that may be the only area where they can live and and live affordable. And so for those who don't know what gentrification is, I'm just going to read a definition from um, the Webster Dictionary. So gentrification is uh, the process of changing the character of a neighborhood through the influx of more affluent residents and businesses. Um, it's normally in poor urban areas where the wealthier people move in, they improve housing and attract new businesses, typically displacing current inhabitants in the process. And so for those on the other side of the argument, they're like, well, we're bringing up the neighborhood, we're bringing business and we're doing all these things and we're hiring people. The other side of that is that people are being displaced who live there who have been there throughout their whole life and their family members have been there and their businesses they can't afford the rent now because it maybe used you know, the rent be, was one price and now it's gentrified and now it's double or triple and they can't afford to keep their business in that place so now they have to find somewhere else so there are other things on the outside of yes we're bringing up the neighborhood so to speak but on the other side of that many people are being displaced and can't afford mm-hmm. to stay there and so you know, there's arguments on both sides. Well, we're doing great things. And the other side is, well, what about the people who live there? Um, mm-hmm. There are, you know, arguments on both sides. But I wanted to talk about that because Overtown is one of the one of the black, historically black um, neighborhoods and communities here in South, in Miami, in South Florida. But on the other side of that, it's been, it's being gentrified to now what we call Wynwood and the, the, the art district and, you know, other names that they're calling it. And so, people have Mm -hmm. seen it on both sides but I definitely think that Overtown is a place where it's a lot of history there um you know the Lyric Theater is there a lot of the small businesses have been there for a very long time they're there um a lot of the historic schools are there so you know my hope is that the essence of Overtown does not leave and it doesn't get um you know completely shoved out but on the other side of that is that that's the era we're moving in is that they're gentrifying a lot of the black neighborhoods all over the country. So that's what I wanted to say in regards to Overtown and gentrification. And so the other side of that is that, so me and Erica watched the film One Night in Miami and it was produced by Regina King. She did an excellent job. I love her. She's an excellent actress and I'm so glad she's you know, she wanted to move into now producing and, and making films. So she created it. It's on Amazon Prime, Amazon Video. And essentially, for those who haven't seen it, a quick little blurb about it, but it's a fictional um, story, so to speak, between Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Muhammad Ali. And they're in this room one night in Miami and they celebrate Muhammad Ali's win. And they talk about a lot of things that are happening in that time, which of course is discrimination, racism, segregation. Um, And it's right before Malcolm X is killed. And to see the opposing views in that movie between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke and the other men in the room was very interesting. But where they were was a historic landmark in Miami, which is called the Hampton House. And mm-hmm. so I grew up in what we would call Brown Sub, which where the Hampton House is. And my family members grew up in the Hampton House, which was also kind of like apartment complexes. Um, 
but I never knew that it was an actual hotel until I realized when I saw the movie and I'm like, oh, this was an actual hotel. I just thought it was the the apartment complex, mm-hmm. but attached to the apartments were it was the hotel. And wow. so it was amazing to see it in the movie um, because you got to see that this was a place where Black people would go because back then, of course, with segregation, Black, black people weren't allowed to the fancy hotels and even in the movie you see Sam Cooke is saying that I'm at the Fountain Blue but I had to have my manager which was a white man sign me in because Mm -hmm. of course they would allow me to sign in and go to this fancy hotel so this was another um, historic place in Miami um, where me as a millennial and me even living um, not too far from growing up not too far from the Hampton House to realize that I didn't even know the historic value of what it was I just thought it was you know attached to these apartments where people lived but to see that even though they remodeled the apartments they have not touched the actual Hampton House hotel it's exactly well from what I hear it's exactly the same um and structure and things like that they may have painted and stuff like that but they kept the same kind of structure and model of it for historic value which is amazing And um, it was a learning lesson for me when I saw the movie to see the historic value in it and to see the importance of it back in that time. This was in the 60s, how black, you know, to see how black people were able to have their own stuff. Um, And so before we jump into going a little bit further about that, I'll just let Erica speak if she wanted to say anything about Overtown or the one night in Miami. Okay, so. For Overtown, um, it was definitely, um, it's a great disservice as far as gentrification is concerned. It's because what that basically says to the people of the community is that um, we see the value in the community in which you live, but we don't see the value in you. That's Mm -hmm. why we'll come to your community and do all of these great and wonderful things and make you feel as you're part Mm -hmm. of 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 the plan when in actuality you are not. Um, they may come and buy out certain stores or um, push people out or elderly people out even um, mm-hmm. and, and give them a price margin, not knowing that if they stay there, that it'll cause that they, they can quadruple those earnings if they decided to um, sell their house, you know, at any time um, mm-hmm. as long as they're, you know, able to, but um Another thing that they do in those areas is that they they raise the prices for taxing and things of that sort, where the people who live there are not able to afford it to live in that area, even if they do desire to stay. Um, so I think that they wipe out certain parts of the of the legacy. So I think that's um, one of the biggest issues that there is mm-hmm. with um, with uh, gentrification. But as far as um, Overtown, um, Wynwood, because I didn't know all of the um, the history um, surrounding Wynwood, but Wynwood, um, according to the Miami Herald, was a struggling working class neighborhood dotted with warehouses and other industries. The Wynwood neighborhood is now a local arts draw in one of Miami's hippest neighborhoods, as we saw. Um, expressed as well. Um, it was known as the Golden Gate for Hispanic immigrants. 
a melting pot of Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Haitians, African-Americans, Nicaraguans, and Dominicans that have been crippled by a bad image of deteriorating economy. Um, in the 1950s, Wynwood originally spelled W-Y-N-D-O-W-O-O-D, was known was home to white non-Hispanic professionals in several factories, including Coca-Cola and Garrett Construction jobs were plentiful. So I don't really know what was the demise of Wynwood, so to speak, or what made um, the Wynwood area be um, to kind of where the where the there wasn't that um, affluence so to speak, as it was, because according to this article, at one point they even had Coca-Cola there and, mm -hmm. and jobs were plentiful. So I don't know what was the, what, what happened that that transpired. Um, okay, according to this article also, okay, this is the part. In the 1960s came Interstate 95, an addition often associated with a slow pattern of deterioration in the community. It was followed by an exodus of the middle class. During the 1970s, Wynwood Garment District thrived as one of Miami's most popular tourist attractions, drawing thousands of shoppers, many from South America, X, Y, and Z. So, um, yeah, Wynwood, um, Wynwood had a, a, a history of affluence, too, at one point. But according to this, I-95 came along and wiped out a whole class of people, which is horrible in itself which goes to show how there's many other areas that even mm -hmm. in um Miami Gardens they have they, they build up the community and gentrification with gentrification and all the the businesses which once had black people or um black people they promised jobs to we don't work there you go in mm -hmm. a lot of those places and a lot of them don't even speak English okay like yep. <laughs> gentrification is not benefiting us. We may be able to work there if we're lucky as black people, but to mm -hmm. own those places or to really have a seat at the table, so to speak, we're not a part of that. We're not a part right. of that plan at all or the process. So um, yeah, gentrification is a huge cripple to um, black and brown communities. And when would even like, even researching this stuff right now, it said, is Wynwood a ghetto? I'm just like, I, wow. and you know, this is based off of people who have searched that in Google. Is Wynwood a ghetto? Mm -mm -mm. So <laughs> it's just it's just amazing to me how they they they're, they're so afraid of us, but they're not afraid to take over our communities and make it something else. Yep, absolutely. It's so funny. Um, briefly. So my um, in-laws live in a black neighborhood and um, there are a lot of Hispanic people moving in the neighborhood and they called my, because my husband has the same name as his dad, he's a junior. They called my husband phone thinking they was calling his dad, but they were saying, hey, we just moved across the street. We want to buy your house so we can move our cousins in there. What? Will you sell your house? Yes, he just told me this actually the other day that they were calling uh -uh. to say, well, he, they sell their house and they've lived in this house. This was his childhood house. They've lived in, lived in this house, I don't know, at least probably 25, 30 years. So uh -huh. 
maybe 25 years, right? But they're almost at the end of paying it off. So for them to call and say, hey, we just moved in, but we want to buy your house to move our family, our other family members in, it's ridiculous. Right? It's just ridiculous that they would assume that they're just going to sell their house so that you can bring your family in. And there's nothing wrong with people selling and buying houses, right? It's just the mere fact that the part of gentrification that's happening where other people are coming in and wanted to kick the black people or get mm-hmm. the black people out is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. the, the little, the communities that we do have, we, we want to hold on to them. Like we don't want to just say that, right. you know, I'm being kicked out and now I'm being misplaced and I don't know, I don't have anywhere to go and let me, you know, because it's expensive. And so the thought that they were just in the number they threw out was ridiculous. So it was just like, come on now. So things like that happen quite often, um, especially down here in Miami, but I'm pretty sure all mm-hmm. over the country, especially with black people and going through gentrification. So that's just a, an example of how it's still happening like all the time, every day. And so I definitely agree. Gentrification does not help us in the end, unfortunately. So to move on as something we wanted, we talked about, uh, me and Erica, and we wanted to bring this up because it also goes back to the question that people ask, does segregation help us or did it help Mm. us or did it not help us, right? So during the Jim Crow time and segregation where Black people weren't allowed to commingle and, and go in places where white people were, Black people had to band together. And they had to rely on themselves. So they had to shop at Black grocery stores, Black pharmacists, Black doctors, Black lawyers, Black schools. Black people had to band together and only go to our own kind, our own rate. We had to go to other Black people because we were not allowed to do the same things as white people did. Or if we did, we had to like, we know, go to the back of the bus, go to the back of the store. We can't drink from this water fountain. We got to drink from... So we had to separate ourselves. But in the do- in doing that, Black people were able to build cooperative mm-hmm. economics. Mm-hmm. They were able to collect ownership they were able to have community control they were able to transform their uh, political ethical environmental financial all of those things they were able to create that economic system not by choice but because they were forced to do it during segregation Mm. and so a lot of people question well was it a good thing for black people or was it not and so for me I don't think segregation is a good thing. Hands down, it's not. I don't think people should be ostracized or separated by the color of their skin. But on the other side of that, I think that it built something um, which was cooperative economics. And I think that during those times, cooperative, cooperative economics for Black people was very, very good. We were able to patronize and keep the Black dollar in our community for way longer than what it is now. It's very short-lived in the Black community now, the Black dollar. But Mm. back then, it probably lasts a very long time because they were only allowed to spend their money normally with Black people because of segregation. And so I definitely see both sides of the totem in regards to that. But I do believe that segregation by any means of it is wrong. And I don't believe that we need to get back to a place of segregation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard people say like, we need to go back to that where we just, you know, stand with yeah. our own race and our own culture. And I don't think that um, being forced to do that is the right thing. If you choose to, like myself, like I try really, really, really hard to patronize black owned businesses i try very hard to despite sometimes and i'm a black business owner myself sometimes they make you want to say i'm never going back there again but but i think that we should try to patronize black Mm -hmm. businesses i think that we should try to keep the black dollar in our community does that always happen no um i watched a documentary that um that that was on Netflix, uh, Killer Mike did it, where he did a documentary on seeing how long he could keep the black dollar in the black community. And for, I think, 48 hours or 72 hours, he tried to just do use his money on all black owned businesses. And it was very hard for him because he, he's in Atlanta and Atlanta's kind of like the black wall, you know, it's like booming, like black Hollywood. And a lot of black people are going there. But for him, it was very hard because he found that it was, I think one black hotel. And so like he had to sleep on the bench for a few hours because he was mm. just having a hard time navigating, keeping his money. Like he found a black cell phone company, which I didn't know existed. He found a black supermarket that I didn't know existed. So there are some black, some of these things exist. It's just that we don't know about them, right? If you ask me, name a black pharmacy in Miami now, I couldn't tell you. I knew it existed once upon a time. I knew Roberts, which is also in Liberty City, was a Black-owned pharmacy. It doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, there may be some, maybe not where I am, but maybe somewhere in Florida or maybe somewhere in Georgia. So I go, I say all that to say is that going back to the segregation and how cooperative economics, I think, was birthed, even from us being brought over here from as slaves, like, we banded together to share our resources. And that's basically what cooperative economics is, is working together and sharing your resources. And I think that that was one, that's one thing that black people have always done well. I think over the years, it's kind of been shaky and rocky. You know, now that, you know, you get more, you have more, sometimes we want to patronize in these other places. But me, for me, what I really try to do is strive to, support black owned businesses as much as I can. But I think that as a people, as black people, we can do much better at doing that. So that's kind of my thoughts and my rant about it because I am a thousand percent agreeable with cooperative economics and I wish that we can be at a better place with it. But I try to do my part as much as I can. Right. I think it's important to um because if we don't pour into our community, then who will, whether it be time, whether it be finances, um it's just it's just I don't foresee it happening um mm-hmm. if it's not a, amongst us or you know miracles and other things can come into play right. but um as a collective it, it'll take a collective effort so um it's important to to support black businesses especially um being entrepreneurs is something you know to support other people um who look like us but sometimes there are <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there there can be issues uh, mm-hmm. as with any business but um I think it's important to to maintain it um to maintain that expectation amongst ourselves but to also um even for those who support those businesses to not expect because that's your cousin that's your friend that's your this and that to 
constantly or uh, get discounts or this and that, like, especially if they're up and coming, like, you should be able to pay full price for this and that. Like, no, no, it's just like, oh, I need a bargain that yes. you'll go. And like, <laughs> it's like, yes. you know, bargain down, bargain them down. Like, how are they going to get to where they need to be? Because if you go exactly. to Walmart, you can't bargain them people down. You can't pull exactly. a candle off the shelf and be like, all right, I'll give you $2 for it. It's really worth five. Like, you, you can't do that. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you can't afford to get it at the time, then just don't get it. And when you're able to get it, but right. to constantly ask for discounts for this and that, it's a great disservice to the, the not only the business owner, but to the business itself. So you shouldn't even put somebody in that, you know, that delicate situation. Um, but one thing right. also we, we did want to um, cover is talking about the susu um <laughs> yes <laughs> which a lot of people have their qualms about it but i i believe um that it's something that has worked for um other cultures even in um in our society once upon a time and my question is um why uh, well, I, i'll say the factors that i believe that um why it's not effective but I also want to know how do we get to a place where it can be more effective but I think that some of the issues is there's a uh, uh, a deep mistrust amongst black people within ourselves there's a deep mistrust mm-hmm. of oh I they ain't gonna take my money they ain't gonna dismiss it's a deep mistrust a deep-seated mistrust um that has been implemented I almost um, a huge part of it is slavery, but even before mm-hmm. the existence of slavery, there there's there was some mistrust. Um, but I think that that's the seed of it. Um, right. So we don't trust each other. We don't trust each other with our finances. We don't trust each other with our business plans. That's why we hoard information. That's why mm-hmm. we um, we don't see support each other as we should. Um, so a lot of that is um, rooted in mistrust. Um, and I think another part of it is is the the know how you know or the mm-hmm. faith. Um, I don't have faith that this can work. I don't have how is this going to work? Why would I do this? It, and it's um it's a lot of people are not willing to take that risk. But to be honest, excuse right. me. To be honest, it's not a huge risk for most people. I mean, because a lot of the groups were like a hundred dollars, and I ain't gonna lie. When I first heard about it, I was like, mm, let me think about. This. <laughs> <laughs> right you like listen you listen you work for every dime of that right okay? so i understand that but i think that i think that's just taking that risk sometimes for the collective as a whole and i think right. that it can work because it works in other community it works in the asian communities mm-hmm. it works in jewish communities why can't why can't it work in ours like right Risa and i have very <laughs> We're mm-hmm. in some groups together, so we definitely know. But sis, can you like expound upon your experience or what do you think about that? So I agree. I think that um, whether you call it a susu, whether you call it a blessing circle, whatever you call it, I think that it can work. Um, me and Erica joined almost close to uh, the similar time. And it wasn't all a bad experience, right? We were able to gain together from a group that we joined together. We were able to gain something. But I think what happens is Black people don't 
always um, support one another. And we did go in skeptical, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. like, is this real or not? You know, are they going to take our money? Um, But I just think that it doesn't work unless everybody works together. And the susu that we were on, that's exactly what the premise was. If you didn't work together, you were not going to get your share, Mm -hmm. which goes back to cooperative economics. I think that these type of groups can work because other races do them. We know, mm-hmm. we see, they sh- they help each other and, and not trying to be funny or anything, but you see Hispanic people come here, they will pile 10 people in their house until mm-hmm. everybody gets on their feet to get theirs. Yep. Shoot them out, help, shoot them out. You come, you just got here, come on. We squeeze everybody in this little house and then you get on your feet and you go and you pull back and you help somebody else. We yes. see other races do it. We see the Jewish community. We see the Asian community. We see all these other communities do it. And it's like, well, dog, these people are immigrants. How are they coming here and getting more than what we already have? And we've been born here, living here. Our ancestors were here. Why is it that we can't do the same thing? Mm. And I think that, um, yes, we talk about slavery. Yes, we were stripped from our home, our land, and all of these things. I, I agree. But I think at some point we have this crabs in the bucket, crabs in the barrel mentality where we just me, 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 me. And we don't think about the other people around us. We don't turn around and give a hand. What does it hurt to give somebody some information? I just had this conversation recently with a friend of mine who's also a, a therapist. And we share information for free to each other because we wanna help one another. But we have this conversation how some other people it's like they have a, a, a pot of gold that they don't want to share. But what isn't mm-hmm. going to harm you to share some information with somebody else? That's free knowledge. You yep. didn't pay for it. Somebody else told you. Or even if you paid for it, what isn't going to hurt to share it with somebody else? Those are small things to some people, but they help a lot. The knowledge that I've gained, even from listening to people on Clubhouse, has really changed yes. my business. Yes. So yes. it's like we have to get out of that mindset where we don't want to help one another. And I think the Susu is a good example of that because I know personal people have, who have got thousands, you hear me thousands of dollars from these Susus to where they were able to buy a car or they were able to put a down payment on a house. They were able to pay off their debt. Like it can work, but only if everybody works together and not scheming, not stealing, not lying. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not trying to help themselves and forget everybody else. Once I'm out, oh well. Like not those things don't work. But that unfortunately, part. a lot of black people have those have that mentality. It's like, well, got mine. You better figure out yours. And it's like, but why though? Why can't we help each other? Pull each other up. You know, reach back and help somebody else. And so, until we can change our mindset as a, as black people, we're not going to get far like these other races. And we mm-hmm. absolutely can do it. It makes no yep. sense that somebody get here from another country for a year and have way more than someone else has at the 50 years old that's been he- living here and born here in this country. We know about, yes, as Black people, we don't always have an even playing field. I agree with that. Racism, segregation, institutional, all of that stuff. I a thousand percent agree with that. But on the other side is that we can't always allow that to keep us stuck. There are avenues and pathways that some of us can and some of us cannot. And I understand that we're always not equal, but 
I feel like if we band together, we can get further than what we can alone. I truly believe that. And so, um, you know, I had a good experience, but I've also had some bad experiences doing, you know, the susu. <laughs> but um, just to be honest, it hasn't always been Ew. well. And I think that it's been, you know, people with those. It was those... definitely, a, <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> a, 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 um, what's the word? It was definitely a learning experience. Yeah. Definitely on both sides. But I definitely we, we agree. Did, we did see it. We did see a work on on different levels with different people. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I what I appreciated about it was going going in was um that some people were able to do these amazing things as um as Risa talked about being able to buy a car or pay this off, pay that off. And that's, and, and that's something, and I, I have very high hopes about it. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I had it laid out, honey, how I was going to yes. do this, <laughs> how we was going to buy this and that. Like most of it was like, not even stuff that was like, you know, for personal gratification or anything like that. But um, it can work and hopefully, but I think a lot of people too, a lot of people have these qualms saying, oh, it's illegal, this and that. But you need to do your research because it's not, it's not. <laughs> do your research, it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, but it was a lot of things about, you know, people don't understand about gift tax and all that stuff like that. But yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a, a, a learning experience that I'm grateful that I, I had. But uh, <laughs> Well, it was so funny because mm. Risa and I, we were watching Girlfriends, and I well, I was watching this episode. I know Risa went and watched um the the seasons or what do you call it? the complete seasons of Girl yeah. uh, Girlfriends. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought it was so funny because when Girlfriends um first came out, I was very young, but to see the episode when Maya was in the susu and Joan oh, was trying yes. to get money from her, just like. <laughs> It that works for funny. her, but it was it was funny to really see it and understand, you know, exactly what they were talking about. But hopefully, but I, I hopefully we can get to that place where as collective we can do things like that. But um right. Yeah, collective e- economics is key. Right. I definitely agree. And, um, you know, that's something that I'm definitely interested in doing collective economic, I'm sorry, cooperative economics, um, because I think it it can work. I've seen it work for people. I think it can work. And, you know, two people are better than one, four people are better than one. And especially if you can do it in your family, that's even more amazing because you're creating generational wealth for your family. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that that's if you don't know where to start you can start with your family if you know even if it's just you and somebody else in your family that are that are banded together to do something to make sure that your future your legacy is different right you know for me I grew up poor really business was something foreign to my family nobody really owned a business and so for me that's Mm -hmm. doing a first um but I reached back and I helped my brother create his business right and if anybody mm-hmm. else in my family wants help and guidance I'll reach back and help them too any way mm-hmm. that I can um not saying you carry somebody on your back but you throw the rope down so that you help them up too instead of saying well I got it peace out 
you know, especially if you can help people in your family, not everybody's going to be on board with changing their lifestyle and changing their future. And that's okay. But for the people who are interested, try to help people in your family. And if it's the door's not open there, then you reach back a friend or someone else that you can help. The reality is, is that a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if they don't say anything, you don't know. But if you don't also say anything, how do you know? So you know, that's my two cents about it. I'm very passionate about cooperative economics, helping other people. Let, you know, let's all get it. Like, we all can win together. <laughs> and so that competition thing is something foreign to me. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. I feel like God gave us our own gifts and talents, our own lanes to be in. There's enough for everybody to eat. It's not where you have to hoard and you don't have to, you, you know, I'm not helping somebody else because they're going to take my shine and take my stuff. that's ridiculous it's millions and millions of people here like really there's enough for everybody to shine and everybody to win so that's my soapbox (laughs) (laughs) i i I just want to circle around circle back around to one point before we conclude the episode um i i I do want to talk about um one night in miami um if for those who aren't aware um that was um, that was a production that was uh, directed by Regina King. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't. I, I believe it was based off of. I want to say a book, and I apologize. I don't know the person who created the book. It was loosely based off a play. Okay, a play. Mm-hmm. Okay, so loosely based off a play. Um, but it was phenomenal the way that she cast everyone. I mean, the acting was on point it was just phenomenal um Mm -hmm. one of the conversations spoiler alert so if you haven't seen it you (laughs) yes if you haven't seen it and you want to see it then you might (laughs) circle back around to this part of the podcast but um the conversation between um sam cook in the movie and muhammad ali i mean i'm sorry not muhammad ali malcolm x was something that I've never witnessed um I to see that transpire um on camera um it was just amazing to to see that because on one end you had Sam Cooke who had his beliefs and basically he was more on the financial side of you know of building himself up so where he wouldn't need for from for anything um and basically having a legacy built on that and Malcolm X was more on the standpoint of um using your platform to uplift uplift your people so they basically basically had different points of view but what the beautiful thing was even though they all had valid rights and points in what they believe is that even though they had arguments and stuff like that they or they were each able to draw something from the other as far as, sorry, they were each able to draw from each other as far as um, what they could take from what their friend was saying, even if it was something that they outright um, didn't believe in from when it was first expressed. Right. But um, I'm not going to go into all of it, but <laughs> it was definitely, it was definitely good to see because um, you see them circle around and see the beauty 
and push each other into thought patterns into a different way of thinking. So I think that's right. something that we can celebrate in our in ourselves is that sometimes we may not see someone's point of view. Um, but if we sit there and think about it, that is something that we may be able to draw from it. But um it was just it was beautiful to go <laughs> to to see that, to see that display of 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 what Sam Cook how the black dollar is that him owning his um, intellectual property or his music or this and that was how he can create wealth. And um, Malcolm X being on the, the legacy side is that, you know, that's all well and good, but what can you do for the collective as a whole to make sure that your platform is reaching the people and syndicating the message that you desire for it to have or that will help empower your people. Right. Right. I definitely agree. And um, like Erica said, the movie was done beautifully in showing, um, you know, the camaraderie of friends, right? You don't always have to agree with one another as well, right? You can have different, a difference of opinion, a different view, but um, being able to respect the differences is something else that I saw in the movie. So that was definitely an amazing, amazing movie. So if you did not see One Night in Miami, go and look at it. It's on Amazon Video. Um, it's produced, directed by Regina King, which is another Black woman who's doing her thing. So go check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, one final thing. So we want to highlight some Black excellence within Erica's family. So Erica, you want to talk about some of the information that is in your family in regards to the Black excellence? Yes, I absolutely will. So um, um, what is known as Sanford, Florida, which um, we all, well, most of us know is where, um, unfortunately, Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm -hmm. Um, Sanford, Florida was once known as Goldsboro, um, which was a, a thriving um, Black community in Florida, um, which in relation to me, um, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather and his brother, um, they both had, um, they both had involvement in Eatonville, which was an affluent Black city, and um, Goldsboro. So they both had um they both have history there. So I'm just going to read a little bit about um, Goldsboro. So according to worldfootprints.com says many people know the story of the African-American town Rosewood from the movie about the massacre. But how many of us have heard of Goldsboro, Florida, the second black incorporated city in the United States, was United States, which also thrived and was subsequently destroyed, boasting family boasting famous residents like the writer Zora Neale Hurston, the city's history has been preserved through the creation of the Goldsboro Cultural Arts District with a mu- with a museum, excuse me, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. um, It just goes on to say how um, Goldsboro was a thriving uh, city for, uh, they produced celery, um, it composed mainly of laborers, rail workers, former slaves, and farm workers. But this was a place that was good um, as far as um, 
industrializing was concerned, as well as agriculture as in relation to um, producing um, celery. Um, it was a peaceful community until 1911. That year on April 26th, a Florida state representative and former Stanford mayor named Forrest Lake pushed through a bill in Tallahassee that dissolved the Goldsboro Charter and forcibly annexed it into Sanford. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just have someone making a, com uh, a comment. It was the land, of course, without Goldsboro, Sanford was just that small place next to Lake Monroe. Representative Lake believed Goldsboro and the neighboring town of Sanford Heights blocked the city's plans for exp expansion. So he destroyed Goldsboro in order to make Sanford more prosperous. The townspeople of Goldsboro spent the following 40 years suing to restore the town's charter, but were never successful. Um, so there's just a little uh, background on that city as well as um, as it pertains to my family but um, but it just goes to show that what she said was very real what the representative said is very real because in respect to Goldsboro Sanford was nothing so mm -hmm. to have it annexed to to make it bigger was it's was, it was just beyond me but these are the things that people have been able to do to black people over time in this country and it's sad um it's sad that and even after all of this time that um they do have a museum there where you're able to see um certain things archived um i've also read that i believe jackie robinson spent a night there but he never mm -hmm. came back because of the unfair treatment that he um was subject to there because his because of his skin of course um, but even um, I saw mention of Zora Neale Hurston as well. But yeah, um, so we we have a rich a rich history as Black people in this country, and mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure across the across the globe in um, Miami and amongst our friends and family that there's 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 legacy there that that has that has not been shared or uncovered, but. Um, it's there. We, we have a very rich history as Black people in this country. Absolutely. And that's amazing to know that you have, you know, the history and the heritage in your in your family and your in your bloodline, which is amazing. And so if we all sat and talked to the elders in our family, we mm -hmm. probably would find a lot of information um, from our ancestors and from people, you know, the older adults in our family. So that, you know, even Erica talking about that made me think like, oh, I need to go talk to the older people in my family to find out there might be a lot of information that we don't know. Um, mm -hmm. and because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes the information is lost or it's not, you know, recorded places and just, you know, things that have happened back in those times. So it's good to know your history. So if this definitely is a learning lesson for me to go back and, and get acquire some more history about my family on both sides, um, because it's interesting to know. So that's amazing mm -hmm. that, you know, you have those things that are in your family that you can trace back to a whole sit a whole place in Florida where your your um, ancestor kind of founded and built and, and, and so many amazing things happen there. So that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. No problem at all. And so 
as we wrap up this episode of Black Excellence, this was an amazing episode. A lot of history here, um, but also a lot of conversations that needed to be had. And so we, our hope from this, com- from this episode is that you learn, right? But it also challenges you to do something different, right? If you learn something here, if you um, mm. are not patronizing Black businesses, if you didn't know the history of um, some of the things we talked about, learn it. Google it, search it. You know, nowadays you can type anything on your phone and find out. Talk to your family members to find out the history within your own family. Um, there might be a lot of richness in your family that you had not, and I'm not talking about financially rich, but I'm talking about heritage and a lot of things also mm-hmm. that we may not know. And so just looking at black excellence as a whole, I'm glad we got to talk about this episode before we end yes. Black History Month. It's amazing to see that, you know, even where you are, there's a lot of richness in the heritage. You just need to look no matter where you are in the country or even in the world. Um, Black people are all over the world and Black people have been doing amazing things since the beginning of time. So don't let people fool you and tell you that Black people are not, have not done great things because we know a lot of things we created in this country was stolen from Mm -hmm. us. So don't let me get started on that. We're closing the episode. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you guys for listening. Um, Did you have any last remarks or comments you wanted to make, Erica, before we close out? Yes. Um, My my last remark that I wanted to make is that um, even for our, our podcast, is um we for um from from my perspective is that we leave a legacy of you know not only talking about things that um may be fun or something that's um newsworthy but Mm -hmm. also something that um that we help that we can encourage you know other people we can also encourage people that look like us people that don't look like us so that's Mm -hmm. the legacy that I hope that we fashion from this this podcast is you know being able to um to inspire intellectual thought in ways that um people might not normally so um thank you for being a part of this legacy and thank you for sharing this legacy with me absolutely no problem wouldn't have it any other way (laughs) (laughs) but just final thought right because because we're talking about black excellence and we're talking about our heritage and our roots, this is no way, shape or form to condemn or put other races down by no shape or form. This is solely for us to uplift and magnify and give us as black people, as black women, our due diligence and our due justice for the great things that we have done in this country, but also to shed light on the things that we don't necessarily learn in school. We don't necessarily Mm -hmm. learn So a lot of these things we had to research on our own to find that there are so many great things that happen in the city that we were born and raised in that we did not know. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is just a charge and a challenge for other Black people that are listening. But other races that if you may not know a lot about Black people, do some research about Black people, right? Don't just go on the, the stereotypes and the stigmas that you hear that may have been passed down from your family members or friends learn for yourself and get to know the richness of about us black people because we are well faceted and amazing people inside and out so just wanted to say that little disclaimer um about you know about the episode and so as we close out we definitely want to um have you guys continually continuously check out our social media pages uh the queen's cup podcast don't forget you can send in your questions to tqcnation at gmail.com 
We'd love to hear from you and maybe we'll answer one of your questions on our episode. So we are going to close out. This was an amazing episode and we look forward to talking to you guys in our next episode. Yes. And don't forget to keep your cup full because you can't pour from an empty one. (laughs) (laughs) Bye guys. Bye.